following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Read and, and look at a fascinating passage in Romans. Um, very unique passage at the very end of Romans chapter 15. Um, and in this, Paul really explains uh, his reason for wanting to go visit the, Rome, the church in Rome. Um, the book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul, and it's one of the, I think the only letter, I may be wrong on this, but I think it's the only letter he wrote to a church he had never been to or started. He'd never been to Rome. He did not plant the church in Rome. Uh, he was not involved in overseeing the church at Rome. But he wants to go visit the church in Rome. And he writes his longest letter to this group of people that he's never met before. And in chapter 15, verse 22, he explains some of his reasons for wanting to be connected or plugged in with the church at Rome. So this is what he says. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for so many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while, uh, then uh, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For the churches in Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, that is, of the Jews, they ought to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. We're going to look at this uh, this week and next. Um, uh, what's, what's interesting in this passage, though, is that Paul has been uh, church planting in, in uh, what would be now modern-day Turkey and Greece. Uh, and he's really completed his work there. He says, I've run out of room. Right? I've, and that doesn't mean he like, had evangelized every city and town. But as Paul looked at the map, the places that he had been, he had felt he had done what God had called him to that there was Christian churches in the major cities, major areas. And he said, I'm out of room. There's no place left for me in, in, in that region to go evangelize. And so he was now setting his scope on a new mission field. And the mission field was, was Spain. And if you're familiar with the Mediterranean, it's as far, really as far away uh, from Jerusalem as you can get and still be in the, in the area of the Mediterranean. Uh, and as he's looking at making this transition in ministry... He's looking for a church that will not so much send him, but resend him. Right? He's a member of the church at Antioch. The church in Antioch has sent him out on all of his mission trips. 
But now he's going to be just a long, long ways from, from the church in Antioch. And really what the, the, the letter of Romans is about and what Paul's talking about here is he wants to connect with the church in Rome and uh, is looking at making that kind of a new home base where they would resend him out to evangelize and reach uh, the unreached and lost people in, in Spain. And uh, Rome is a lot, like, um, a lot like Chiang Mai. It was a major crossroads where people would come from all over the world and uh, it was a major hub. So many similarities to um, Chiang Mai, where people come from all over. And it's interesting because Paul gives a picture here of what, uh, what he views as the role of the church in his own personal life. And how he seeks to engage with this church in Rome as he sets out on his next phase of ministry to reach the, the unreached people in Spain where there were no churches. Right? Where he was going to be doing pioneer church planting. Uh, so as we look at this, we're going to look more at the passage in depth next week of exactly how Paul uh, seeks to, to both bless and be blessed by the church in Rome, how he will be more engaged. But uh, let's look at it uh, first by talking a little bit about what the church is. Right? If I were to ask you right now, if I were to take the mic down, this would be fun to do, and I'm kind of tempted to do a roving mic around the audience right? go to the back rows where they're not even really paying attention all the way. Right, and if I were to ask you with a microphone, tell me what you think the church is, right? What would you say? Right, what would your answer be? What is the church? Um, how many would say it's a building with a cross on it? Okay, nobody's going to put their hand up for that one, right? Uh, certainly we all know that the church is more than just a, a building, right? And, and uh, putting a cross on it doesn't make it the church. It makes it a church building, but not the church. Um, what is the church? And in its essence and nature, what is the church? Uh, and many people will talk about it this way, what is the real church? And one of the problems is, in English, we use the church for lots of different things. We use it for the building, uh, especially if it's like a, an official church building. We call it a church. We use it for the service or meeting on Sunday morning. So, like this morning, we all came to church, right? And we don't necessarily mean the building, but we probably mean the service, the meeting together. We call that church. Uh, and then, of course, we call the people of God uh, the church. So, um, so people say, well, what's the real church? What do we really mean by church? Well, um, let me give you a broad definition. I didn't write this. This comes from a, a theologian, Millard Erickson, says this. I think I have it uh, so you can read and follow along. The church is the whole body of those who through Christ's death have been saved, reconciled to God, and have received new life. It includes all such persons, whether in heaven or on earth. While it is universal in nature, it finds expression in local groups of believers, which display the same qualities as does the body of Christ as a whole. There's a couple of key features the church is primarily God's people. It is all those who have been saved through the work of Christ. So, uh, and, and theologians will tell us that it's both the living and the dead. Right? So when you say I'm a part of the church and it's universal, it means you're connected in this really cool way with people who lived centuries ago who also were saved through Christ. And altogether, all people in all places at all times who have been saved through Christ, who's Lives have been regenerated by the cross. Um, we together make up the church. Um, 
the statement says that it's universal. In other words, all those living in debt in every place, and it's also local. So it is uh, little pieces of that whole, uh, but theologians tell us that it's not just that the pieces make up the whole, but every church body, every local fellowship is a representation of the whole thing, right? So it's not just that our body here at CCF is one piece of the greater body in Chiang Mai. It is that. But it's also the whole expression of the church, right? So right here is the whole church in some uh, snapshot, a thumbnail, if you want to use like computer language, right? We're a thumbnail of the whole church, which is kind of a cool thing. Um, so that, that's a good definition, but I have a problem with that definition, uh, because this definition talks about what the church is only in terms of what makes it up, right? The church is, is church people, right? The church is Christians uh, who have ever lived and ever will live, dead and living, future, past, in every place. Well, that's nice. That's who we are. But it really doesn't describe what the church is. It's only what it's made up of. Um, so what really is the church? How can we sharpen that a bit? Well, uh, the church is more than just individuals, right? So the problem with that definition really is that it's true that all Christians make up the church, but the church is not simply individual people who have been saved. Scripture makes it very clear uh, that, that the church is more than just a class of people. Like we could say, Dalmatians are a class of dogs, and all dogs with short hair, short white hair with black spots are Dalmatians, right? Well, that's true, right? You could say Christians are all those people who got saved and, you know, dunked and followed Jesus. Um, but it doesn't describe anything about how they relate to each other. And the image that's used in Scripture talks a lot, not just about what you are, but how you are connected with everybody else. It uses language like the body of Christ, um, the word church in, in Greek comes from the word assembly. And it has the idea of being gathered or assembled together. What you are as, as the church is described and defined largely by your relationship together. Uh, you are not just individually Christians who um, become a class of people called the church. Uh, so here's another definition I'll throw up. This is my own uh, expanded definition. The church is the people of God in all times and places who relate to each other as interdependent members together of one body. Okay, interdependent members together of one body. And who together relate to God as his holy people, the body of Christ, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so here we have a little better picture. Right? We are we are a a collective group of people who mean something, who are something, because we are together. We, we relate to each other. And Scripture talks, in, as we relate to this triune God, this picture of us as being his holy people. That together, as a group, we, we have some kind of relationship with God. That together, as a group, we are, we are the very body of Christ. And as such, we are very connected to each other, as Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians. And we together make up the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, you individually are a temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul tells us. But together, as we gather as a, as a thumbnail, as, a, as a, a piece of what the church is, we gather this morning as a temple where the very presence of God dwells by his Spirit. Right? And what that means is that 
uh, that much of what it means to be a Christian, we cannot be just individually. You can't really be all of what it means to be a Christian and a follower of Christ uh, on a solo mission. It is a group project. It is not something you do individually. It is something you have to do, sadly, like it or not, you have to do it with, with other people. Right? How much easier it would be right, if we could just skip that part. Right? It's just me and Jesus, and we're going to have our little relationship together, and, um, and I'm going to be good. But no, the church, and, and, the, and what God, the Bible clearly teaches, is we've got to do this together. Uh, and that togetherness has two directions. The first direction is Godward. Right? Uh, you cannot worship God by yourself. Uh, you can. I mean, you can worship God by yourself, but you can't do it in a way that is fully satisfying and pleasing to God. Right? What God is looking for from us is people who worship Him together. Right? So we come this morning and we worship God together. And Scripture is clear that that gift, that offering, uh, is, is more meaningful to, to God than what we do privately. And that doesn't mean he's, he, he's not happy with our private worship. It's just that he designed us to be a holy temple that worships him corporately, right? who comes before his presence as a group of people together who represent him and worship him. Right? So we do this as a group Godward. We also do it as a, as a group towards each other. Right? We, uh, our spiritual growth and development and health are somehow dependent on our, our involvement and participation with each other. I hate to tell you this, and for some of you this is going to be a painful reality, right? But you can never reach full maturity in Christ and become all that, you, that God wants you to be all by yourself, right? You can't, you can't do it. You cannot do it. The only way you will ever reach true maturity and godliness and, and health as a, as a believer is as you join together with other Christians and as they shape you and you shape them. Right? And, and the reality is that this is just not fun, right? Because the reason we don't like this is relationships are sometimes prickly things, right? We, we don't get along with people and people don't get along with us and it's always their fault. We know that, right? It's always their fault that they don't, because we're perfect, right? Um, but through this, this interaction of difficulty, of strain, of, of, of bumping into each other, we, we, we grow. We grow each other, right? And we learn to mature together. Uh, and, and Ephesians 4, and I'm sorry I don't have a lot of the scripture. Uh, there's some great scripture for this. We would never get through this. But Ephesians 4 talks about the whole body being joined together and building each, building each other up into maturity in Christ, right? Uh, so, so the church is, is, is a group of people who have relationship together and together have relationship with God. Right? That's what the church is. So what does this practically look like? Okay, if that's what the church is, um, what does this look like in my everyday life? Back to some of those basic questions of like, you know, how do I fulfill my requirement for church attendance? Um, if, you, if you're that kind of person. If you're not that kind of person, the question's more like, how do I engage with the church in a way that's going to be meaningful, that's going to help me grow, that's going to be Christ-honoring like, like it describes in Scripture? Um, 
And here's some of the practical questions that we bump up against every day, especially in this community. Uh, is your mission organization the church? Right? Is the Christian school where you teach the church? Um, if you have coffee with your friends at Starbucks, is that the church? Right? Um, is the church organized and institutional? Is that necessary? Or is that, like, bad? Like, should we move away from anything organized and institutional? And is the church really just, you know, the people of God being uh, powerfully somehow uh, moved to impact the world, right? Well, to clarify this, theologians have, have um, ever since Martin Luther, have talked about the church in two uh, categories, uh, now, we all know about the universal church and the local church, right? And the, the universal church we talked about, it's all the believers everywhere through all time and space. The local church would be all the believers in a location, right? So technically, CCF is not a local church because the local church would be all the churches in all the believers in, in this Mubon or all the believers in the city of Chiang Mai, right? Um, the distinction we really need to look at is what theologians call the visible versus the invisible church. Right? The visible versus the invisible church. Uh, Luther, as I said, was the one who first came up with this concept uh, and called it that. Uh, Calvin jumped on it and, and formulated it further. Uh, and it's a good distinction. And I think it's, it's evident in Scripture. And we'll see it in a minute in, in Romans chapter 15. What do we mean by the invisible church? Well, I would call this, another way you could call this is the scattered church. The scattered church. It is the church that is salt and light as it is out there in the world. Right? So it's all true believers, all Christians, that universal church, as they're distributed throughout society. Um, it's, it's the parts of the body who, uh, whose presence and influence is everywhere, but nowhere is it visible. Right? In other words, so Christians are just out there and, and people may, your, your neighbors may not know you're a Christian, right? As you drive down the road, they don't identify your car as a Christian car. And especially the way some of you drive, right? It's clearly, right, not a Christian car. Um, uh, maybe you got the little Jesus bumper sticker, you know, maybe that makes your car Christian, I don't know. But, but for the most part, it's how we live life as people, who uh, in God's eyes are called out and set apart, but in the world's eyes, we're just people. Uh, they might think we're odd or strange or different, because a lot of you are, and uh, we may do odd things that they don't understand, but uh, we're, we're not waving a banner, right? We're just living out our faith as salt and light. Um, one way to think of it is, uh, is, is kind of look at it as the analogy of, of golf, golfing. Anybody here golf? All three of you, wow. Right? Uh, I used to golf, and it just caused me, I sinned too much when I golf, so I had to quit. Um, golf is a very individual sport, right? And uh, it doesn't require a team. And uh, like in the congregation here, you wouldn't know who the golfers are, right? Now you go to the airport, sometimes you're in a place like at the airport, and they've got their golf bags. You go, oh, that's a golfer, right? He's got this big, huge bag carrying around, smacking you with it. Um, uh, golf. Uh, you know, they blend in the crowd, and, and they, they don't have a team, right? There's no, like, go Manchester golf, right? Yeah, right? It's just individuals. There's no logos. There's no 
team, right? Golfers don't need their own practice fields. They can go kind of golf or practice anywhere uh, safely. <laughs> um, sometimes it's on a, an official course. I used to live by a lake, and I would just hit golf balls into the lake. And I had a golden retriever. I had trained to go retrieve the golf balls. It was awesome. Um, um, the church scattered is kind of like that, right? Uh, it's just Christians everywhere. They may show up together to play, uh, you know, play golf at a course. You may just show up and find that there are other golfers there. You may have a group of friends that you go golf with regularly. Um, but a lot of it you develop and you, you work on on your own, right? It's, it's a solo thing. That's a very poor but hopefully helpful analogy of the scattered church, what you are as you live out your life. Um, and in that sense, uh, is a Christian school the church? Well, in that sense, yes. Right? A Christian school where a lot of Christians are gathered, the true believers who are you know, the invisible church in that place, are the church. They are the church. They're living out Christ's life in that place. Is your, um, uh, is your missions group or your ministry the church? Well, yeah, in that sense, it is the church. It is the invisible people of God living out as salt and light uh, as you do ministry together. Right? Um, if you have, uh, you know, fellowship at Starbucks, is that the church? Yes, as, as the invisible church, as you fellowship and encourage each other, as you have relationships, as you pray for each other, that is the church. And it's the real church. Something fake or counterfeit about it. It is the real church. It is the bodies of Christ doing life and relationship together. Is that the only real church? Well, the, I think Scripture would say no. Right? That is not the extent or the end of what the church is. It's only one dynamic or one aspect of the church. The church is also the gathered church or what Luther called the visible church. What did he mean by that? Well, uh, the church is visible because you can see it. It is organized. It's a place where people meet together. So what we're doing this morning is an example of the visible church. I can look around and I can see it. And you can all look around and if you're at somebody to walk in and say, what are you doing? You would say, well, we're having a church service, right? It's visible. Uh, we have a logo. See, see my Christian fellowship. We have a team name, right? Um, maybe we should have T-shirts. I don't know. Um, it's something you can participate with that's tangible, right? It's got boundaries. And it is institutional. Uh, the visible church is organized. It's not just random. It's organized. There's set times where we meet. There's uh, documents like uh, statements of faith and creeds that define who we are. Uh, there are leaders. It's not just random or arbitrary or spontaneous. There's leaders, and we organize things like a pig roast. And, you know, this, this pig smells coming up. The sermon's not going to last long because it's just too, too much. Right? We organize things. We, um, we, we have outreach. We have community groups and home Bible studies, and there's some sense of accountability. And we, we intentionally, through these institutions, through these plans, we, we find ways to fulfill those responsibilities, Godward and towards each other, to worship God together and to minister to each other. So this morning, um, we didn't just all show up and all start. It, wouldn't, 
wouldn't, wouldn't this be weird if we all just showed up? So we're going to worship God, and we all started singing different songs and quoting Scripture differently all at the same time. And we said, yeah, we worship together. Well, that would be chaos, right? No, we, we planned it so that it was organized together. And Mina did a great job picking out songs and is leading us so that together as one we lift up God's name, right? We take offerings, right? And there's organized ways that we account for it and use it. Um, uh, and, and we use it for kingdom work and ministry, right? So that's organized. It's institutional. It's visible. It's tangible. It, it is the gathered church, um, who have gathered themselves together for a specific cause and purpose as the body of Christ. Um, so in that sense, um, you know, as we try to live out being the people of God, the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, um, visible church is a lot more like a soccer team, right? It does have a logo. It is a team. It has a name. It has its own practice facilities and, 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 and stadiums where they, they gather and they they play. Now, the analogies break down, right? Other churches are not the enemy, right? Like, we don't compete with other churches. Okay, there's, The analogy breaks down. I'll give it that. But um, the soccer team has coaches and managers. It's, it's, it has organized formal practices, right? Whereas golfers just show up and may or may not practice. To do it as a team, it has to be more planned. It just has to be that way, right? The coach can't say, well, if you ever feel like showing up, you know, I want you to kick the ball up and down the field 20 times, whatever. No, there's organized set times, and it's planned, and it's, it's public. Um, they have set games, and people show up and cheer on the team, right? I mean, kind of joke, and I, I do joke about people cheering on, especially on TV. You know, it's like, yeah, you're not helping any. But in a stadium, you know, some people would make a cause that the, the crowd is the whatever number of the player, you know. It's like you, you can make a difference. You can, you can cheer on your team. Well, those are all images that would be true in the, um, in the visible church. So where does the parachurch fit in this? Um, is, is mission groups and Christian schools, are they the visible church? Well, I would say no. Uh, they are the invisible church ministering together. But the visible church is that church that's organized uh, expressly to, to live out the life of the body of Christ, right? Both Godward as, as the corporate body to worship God, and in every way, every way that God's given is to, to minister to each other and build each other up so that we can go out and impact the world for Christ. Uh, the visible church is organized as the church, right? Not as a mission group or as a Christian school. And there's a difference. And the difference is in its primary focus and purpose. Now, again, are all the Christians at a Christian school the church? Yes, it's the invisible church. But its mission is not primarily the praise of its pe- people towards God and the building up of each other uh, in Christ, right, in Christ. If you, if, you don't, if you don't believe that, take the typical kindergarten class. The, the, the five-year-olds are not necessarily... Uh, shaping the teacher into biblical maturity. Well, on some levels they might be, like learning patience, right? But, but it's a very one-sided direction, right? Because the body of Christ is to be the mutual interdependence, right, of, of the body of Christ as they minister to each other. Um, okay, let me wrap up with just real quickly talk about how Paul engages this, right? He gives some scriptural basis for this. 
Uh, how does Paul in, in this passage uh, engage the visible church? Verse 23, Paul says, But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed, enjoyed your company for a while. Okay, Paul's going to Rome, and he's looking for a, a group of people, the, the church, who will really help him and, and as, as a base for his next phase of ministry in Spain. Uh, and he sends a real letter to a real group of people. Now imagine that Paul had engaged them just simply as the invisible church. It's like, well, I know there's a bunch of believers somewhere out there in Rome, and uh, I'm going to go there, and I'm just going to wander around the streets of Rome until I find uh, you know, a Christian. How would that work, right? It's a city of several million people, a very small minority of Christians. How's Paul going to connect with the church if it's not visible, Right? Imagine what it would be, and, and, th- and this is the reality, and a part of what CCF is. We, we have the privilege of welcoming Pauls, people who are missionaries in, in countries all over this region, from China to Afghanistan to Tibet and Nepal, just all over. Right? And they come to Chiang Mai as this crossroads. They come looking for help and support and encouragement. Imagine if the church was only invisible. Right? They just had to, like, wander around to Starbucks, you know, stick their head in. Hey, any Christians in here? Anybody? Anybody? You know, or show up at restaurants. I mean, what would that look like if the church was not visible? If you couldn't find it, right? If the church was only exclusive home groups that had signs on their door, no one else is welcome, right? Is that church? Well, invisible church, yes. Visible church, no, right? People need to find us. Sadly, I know we're kind of hard to find, but we have maps on Facebook and stuff. But um, we try to be a visible presence where people coming can be welcome to a group of people who are here intentionally, who are uh, we're a thing, right? We're a thing that you participate with. And it's important. It's important. For a lot of people, and I, I know you don't always hear this, but after service, a lot of people come up who have been in remote countries, sometimes for a year without the privilege of participating like you get to do here. And there's tears in their eyes as they go, I can't tell you what it meant to worship together with your people this morning, right? To be part of that visible church. It's powerful, right? It's powerful. People need it. And Paul was looking for that, right? He was looking for a group of people he could connect with in a place at a time, right? With leaders who he could consult with and uh, be guided by. And he says, we're going to talk about this next week, what he means by help. But he, he was looking for help and support and encouragement. And those things are just not practical or possible if things are not organized and institutional. Right? The church must be institutional if it's going to fulfill its mission. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody in the institutional church is a believer. Right? There could be people who don't know Christ, who are searching things out, right? But it's vitally important that we are a, a place and we're organized. Um, Paul goes on and he says, um, he talks about this offering that he's going to collect. He says, that, uh, at present I'm going to Jerusalem to uh, bring aid to the saints there. For the churches in Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Paul uh, had gone all through the regions where he had, he had planted churches and he collected an offering for the 
poor believers in Jerusalem. Again, that would be impossible if there was not a visible church. Paul went to real places and he went to real elders, like in Corinth, where they were reluctantly not going to take the offering. And if you read uh, the letter to the Corinthians, chapter 7 and 8, he is pretty direct with the leaders there about, I'm coming, and when I show up, you better have this offering ready, right? It's a free will offering, but I'm telling you, if you don't do it, free will or not, I'm going to make you feel really bad. And uh, Paul was good at this, right? I wish I could, I wish I could be a fundraiser like Paul. Um, that would not work with an invisible church, right? And he was taking this offering to a very visible church that was very organized in Jerusalem where they had programs in place to distribute this money to the poor, right? Like feeding the widows. Right? They had programs. They had things in place. They had structure, and Paul does it in a way that is highly accountable. We don't have time to explain how here, but we'll see it next week. Um, where he holds himself accountable to these churches as the visible church. Right, so Paul, in many ways, depends on the structures of the visible church. His question for you, you do you depend on uh, and do you need the ministry of the visible church? Right? Uh, do, you, do you get how you plug into its, its organization and its structure? Are you a part of it? Right? And not only, not only are you able to connect with it to receive help, but are you able to connect with it in a way to give help? Right? Do you plug in and serve the church in a way that you bless others as they come through Chiang Mai and are looking for a place? Where are the Christians? Where can I find fellowship? Where can I find worship together? Uh, the invisible church. But Paul doesn't only connect with the visible church. He also connects in a significant way with the invisible church. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Paul wants them to pray for him. Now, does that mean that he wants them just, you know, to pray during a service? Well, maybe. But I have a feeling that he wants much more than that. He wants the invisible church. He wants all the believers to go home and in their private prayer times to be pleading in prayer with Paul to join him in the battle. Um, he goes on and he says, so that uh, through, through that prayer I may, by God's will, come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Right? He's looking for the connecting of, of, of intimate, close relationships with the scattered church, right? the invisible church not just in a formal setting of standing up before people in a meeting, but he wants, he wants coffee at Starbucks. He wants to be invited to their homes and have fellowship and communion and community with individual believers as they encourage him and bless him. Um, we're all here, a lot of us are here uh, to do ministry, right? And certainly that ministry, reaching to, to un, unreached peoples and trans, doing translation work and whatever it is you do that's ministry is extremely, extremely important. Paul was, was going to go to, to Spain, he hoped. Not sure if he ever actually made it. There's kind of some debate on that one. But, but his hope was to go to this unreached region to plant churches. But it was a huge priority for him to do that through Rome, 
right, to go through Rome and to build relationships there. And one of the reasons we know it was a huge priority is he, he wrote the longest letter in all of Scripture just to start the relationship with that church, just to lay down kind of a foundation of, of how they could be related and have fellowship in Christ. Um, we need to be plugged into both. We need to be the invisible church. And in every relationship with people from whatever local church or fellowship, from whatever part of the body of Christ they, they are, we need to join with all of them as the invisible church, um, as the body of Christ functioning in all those relationships within uh, the believers of Chiang Mai and beyond. But likewise, it's important that we be the visible church, that together we organize ourselves into groups, whether it's a home church or a, a larger church, where we are visible, where they can find us, where we welcome in the, the sojourners coming through. And Chiang Mai is a place full of sojourners, right? Most of us are sojourners. We are on a journey. We need the ministry to each other. Uh, next, we're going to look at kind of more of the nuts and bolts of how we do that. Uh, but let's commit to that. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. as we pray now.